I hope you'll take your Bible with me this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I wrestled this week if I do Abraham part 3. When we take a week on Sarah, I've decided to do Abraham part 3. We'll come back and catch Sarah, Abraham's wife. James, a few moments ago, read to us the story of when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. As I was thinking about that this week, here Abraham was. He had demonstrated the obedience of faith when he left his home. He went where God called him to go. He left all of his family and friends behind. Obviously, he took his wife and Lot and his family with him, but everything else they left behind in Ur of the Chaldees. And he traveled to a far country, one where he had never been before. He was willing to obey God by faith. We saw last week how in his obedience, it requires that there is a separation of faith. When you choose to follow God, you are, by definition, choosing not to follow after the things of this world. And he separated himself out to follow God and to do what God wanted him to do. This morning, I want you to look with me Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, as we consider the trial of faith. The trial of faith. These verses say very simply, by faith. Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Here Abraham was obeying God, walking by faith, separated out from his family, separated out from some of the comforts that he enjoyed, following after a promise of God. This had been a thing that Abraham had done for a number of years by this point. And God came to Abraham as after he had left Ur of the Chaldees. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, a son in your old age. You and your wife are going to have a baby boy. And he, through him, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, you know the story. When Sarah first heard those words, she laughed. She was 90 years old. How how could this happen? Abraham is a hundred years old. How will this take place? And yet, as the scripture says, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. If God could make a a couple in their 90s, a hundred years old, get pregnant and have a son, there's nothing that God can't do. He can do whatever He pleases. He's God. We know that Abraham in this process, did doubt God's promise. Because remember how he took matters into his own hands? Sarah helped, by the way. And uh, she looked at herself and said, I don't think Abraham's going to be able to have a child with me. And so she gave her handmaid to Abraham, Hagar. You know, if you 
are a student of world history, this was a very momentous occasion. Because of Abraham's choice, because of Sarai's choice in this moment, we now have really what have descended from that. We have Judaism and Christianity and Islam. Because Ishmael and his descendants ultimately became the early uh, ones where the whole nation of Islam, the whole religion of Islam descended from. Isn't it amazing that our choices have consequences far beyond what we could ever fathom? One interesting thing to me in the story of Abraham is that while he was not perfect by any stretch, in fact, even in his walk of faith, he doubted God more than once. On two different occasions, he lied about Sarah being his wife because he was trying to protect himself. Not so worried that uh, Pharaoh would take her to be his wife, but just worried about protecting himself. And yet, through all of this, God still calls Abraham his friend. I don't know about you, but it's encouraging to me that, to know that God has imperfect friends. Uh, God doesn't need a perfect person to call them his friend, but God is looking for those who will walk by faith. Walking by faith doesn't mean walking in perfection. It doesn't mean never making a mistake, but it means being honest about who we are, being willing to admit when we've messed up, and be able to seek God and follow him faithfully. And Abraham is an example of somebody who did just that. But here Abraham is, he's followed God faithfully, he's walked step by step with God. Yes, he's messed up, but he's gotten back and done what God wanted him to do. And in all of this, then God gives him the son, the son Isaac, the son of promise. The son through which God promised to bless all nations of the world. And you know, I would have to think, if I was Abraham at that point, I would think, wow, we've come a long way here in my relationship with God. We've crossed a lot of valleys. We've gone through a lot of difficult things together. I haven't always done everything right, but God has been faithful, and I am thankful to still be walking with the Lord. And in the midst of all of that, then God comes to him and he says, that son, the son of promise, the son that I told you you would have, your son in your old age, this joy that you and your wife had, they hadn't been able to have children. I want you to take that son and I want you to sacrifice him. God, what are you thinking? God, what are you doing? That might have been our response. That wasn't Abraham's response. Rather, when God came to Abram, as uh, James read a little bit earlier, as God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, Abraham said what? Behold, here I am. God told him, I want you to take the son, the only son that I've given you a promise, and I want you to take him and sacrifice him to me. And as we read a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham rose up very early the next morning, and he took his son, and he went to go and sacrifice him. And as they got close to the place of sacrifice, it was several days' journey. As they got close, Isaac looked around, and he said, I see the wood. I see the fire. They had coals with them, but he said, where's the sacrifice? Do you remember Abraham's words? He said, God will provide himself a lamb. What a man of faith to be able to walk through such a, a difficult circumstance 
I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this, and I've never lived at the level that Abraham is living in this place. I've never had to take steps of faith like he's being asked to take here in this passage of Scripture. But have you ever felt like in your life, in your Christian life, you're walking along, things seem to be going pretty well. You were doing what you thought you should be doing and living where you ought to be living and trying to be obedient in the way that you should be obedient. And then God comes along and He says, Oh, that thing, I want it back now. Uh, your health that you've enjoyed, I want you to give it back to me. Your job that's been so good, here, I'm going to take that back now. Hey, that family that I've given you that you've enjoyed so much, I want to see, are you going to follow me and love me or do you love your family more than you love me? This was the test that God put Abraham through. And I think in some respects, we can find ourselves in this same story when God tests His children, we will look at this trial of faith. I want to read to you just a few verses earlier in Hebrews 11, how Sarah had to walk by faith in this as well. We'll look at this in more detail in the coming week, but it says in verse 11 of Hebrews 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because, why? She judged him faithful who had promised. What a great statement about God, that God was faithful to keep his promise. Therefore sprang there even of one and of him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. There's no way that Abraham and Sarah could have fully comprehended all that would come out of their walk of faith. Often when we face situations, decisions, challenges in our life, we have a choice to believe God and follow Him or to believe ourselves or to believe whatever else is going on around us and to try to walk our own way. You know, we don't know all of the consequences of either choice, but I think you'll see in this story this morning that the choice of following God by faith is always the choice that we should take. But when you choose to walk by faith, don't be surprised when you face some trials and testing along the way. In Romans, 8, or Romans chapter 4, verse 18 to 21, speaking about Abraham, he said, Who against hope, I like this, who against hope believed in hope? You know, circumstances didn't look very hopeful, and yet he still hoped in God that he might become the father of many nations. Abraham's getting older and older and older, less and less likely to have a, have a son. And yet he believed God. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. You know what I see in these verses is a man who didn't consider all of the reasons why what God promised couldn't take place. Have you ever looked around and said, well, I know what God says, but does God really understand the circumstances I'm in? I know God says He's going to provide, but look where I am. How could anybody provide in this situation? I know God says if we do the right thing that He'll bless us, but boy, it seems like doing the right thing is not going to result in blessing. It's going to result in much more pain and suffering. Sarah or Abraham was in this situation where he had to obey God even when the circumstances seemed to all point in the opposite direction. 
And I like how Romans says in verse 20 of chapter 4, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I like the mental image that that wording gives us, that he staggered not. You ever feel like God places a heavy burden upon you and you feel like you're going to fall down under its load? Abraham could have felt that way. But because of his willingness to walk by faith, Romans says of him that he didn't stagger. He didn't fall down. He didn't stumble around. He walked purposely forward, trusting in the God who placed the burden on him was also the same God who was able to come alongside and to bear that burden and to lift him up and to help him through his journey. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that when he had promised, he was able, that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Wouldn't that be great to be said of you and of me that we would be fully persuaded that what God promises, He is able to perform. There's a song that says, And I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. If you've committed your life to Him in salvation, don't you think you can trust Him to take care of your needs along the way? See, contrary to all of human hopes and to the laws of nature, Abraham, Abraham trusted God to perform His will and to fulfill His promise. That is what faith is. You know, we see some, a beautiful picture in the story of Abraham. In his life, we see a picture, just in part, of how our Heavenly Father has taken care of us. Abraham, in this story, is, is a type of God the Father. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Abraham was willing to give His. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Isn't that amazing? When God asked Abraham to do this thing, God wasn't asking Abraham to do something that God wasn't willing to do Himself. Right? God would give His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Isaac in this story is a, is a little picture of the work of the Lord Jesus. He was willing to humble himself. You know, Isaac could have fought back when his father went to sacrifice him, but he didn't fight him. He got up on the altar. Abraham's over 100 years old at this point. Isaac's a young man, maybe a teenager. He didn't fight his father. He didn't run away. He was willing to humble himself. Our Lord Jesus Christ did that and so much more. Philippians 2 tells us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
even the death of the cross. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, as he went to obey God and sacrifice his son, God then provided that lamb. He provided the ram in the bush. God always has a ram in the bush. He always has a way to accomplish his plan. And in this story, the ram is the picture of the substitutionary work that Christ did for us on the cross. Christ took our place when He died upon the cross. 1 Peter 2, 24, Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We heard the song played this morning, The Old Rugged Cross. Christ went to that cross. This isn't it, just a representation of it. But Christ died on a cross a rugged cross. He died for your sin and my sin so that we could have our sins paid. He was our ram in the bush. He is our substitution. He took our sins upon Him so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. And in Hebrews 11 and verse 19 that we just read a few moments ago, it tells us that Abraham believed that God would raise up Isaac. Abraham believed that God could raise him up. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Okay, God, I'll obey you. I'll trust you by faith. If you say, sacrifice my son, I'll do it. And I believe God, just like you could give him to me when no one else would think that I'd be able to have a son, God, you can give him back again. You can raise him up. What a great God. We serve. You know, God was able to raise His own Son, wasn't He? Jesus Christ was able to defeat sin and death, and He rose again the third day. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you First of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ rose again. And in this message this morning, I want you to see two different statements in Scripture. One is in Genesis 22.1 that James read earlier. It says, And it came to pass that God did tempt, or that word could be try or test, Abraham. And then we saw it again in Hebrews 11 and verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. When there is true faith in God, when there is true faith in God, that faith will always be tried and tested. You know, one evidence of God's work in your life is the fact that He tests you. He tests you. Always thought that God doesn't test us because He needs to know where we're at. God already knows that. It's not like a teacher in school who gives a test to their students to see if the students can pass the class and find out where the students are and how much they are remembering of the material that they've been studying. No, when God gives us a test, He already knows exactly where we are. 
God gives us a test so that we know where we are. He gives us a test so we understand where we are. He gives us a test so we can grow in our faith. Somebody said it this way, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. You know, sometimes we put things in our life and, and, and it might look really beautiful from the outside. But when that plan or when that thing that we're building or that business perhaps or relationship, when it goes through the fires and tests and trials of this life, if it falls apart, then it really wasn't that great in the first place, was it? The scripture tells us that God's work in our life is like a refiner's fire that heats up the metal so that it burns off all of the waste and all of the garbage and what's left behind is pure gold. God did that in Abraham's life. And I believe God will do that in our lives as well because it is impossible to be a believer in Jesus Christ and not be tested. Don't be surprised. Some people get the idea, well, I got saved. Now I'm not going to have any more trouble. Yes, there's trouble from without. There's the struggle within. But even God himself will test you. And it's not because God doesn't like you. I know in school, sometimes we feel like our teachers don't like us when they give us tests. But tests help not only the teacher to know where we are, it helps us to know where we are. 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. Not only is it true that your faith will be tested, it's also true that it is the Lord who does the testing. It's the Lord who does the testing. He may use many different agencies, but He is the one who directs the testings of our faith. Let me take you to the story of Job, who brought all that problem into Job's life. You say, what was the devil? He had it out against Job. Who allowed it to happen? God did. God did. God is ultimately in charge of the testing. And as it says in Genesis 22.1, it was God who did tempt or try or test Abraham. And so precious is the testing of faith to God. And so profitable is the testing of God to our faith. We should not only expect it. In fact, and we'll look at this tonight. I hope you can come back in James chapter 1. It tells us we shouldn't just expect trials. We should rejoice in them. Rejoice in them. And I'll talk a little more tonight about how you can rejoice in trials. Because you may hear me say that and say, that sounds terrible. What's wrong with these people rejoicing in trials? That, that almost sounds just backwards and people inviting pain into their lives. That's not what he's teaching at all. But he does tell us we are to rejoice in trials. My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So knowing that it is the loving Lord who is directing the testing of our faith and that His hand will never cause His child a needless tear. God always has a purpose in His testing. 
then let's notice this morning three aspects of the trial of faith. Three aspects of the trial or the testing of faith. Number one, we can see from Abraham's life the measure of faith's testing, the measure of his testing. How much? That's a good question, right? How much is faith tested? Well, it's clear that some people are, or at least appear to be, tested more than others. You might look around this room this morning and say, I don't, it's not fair. I've been tested a lot more than some of the other people here. Or you may sit here this morning and say, wow, it's really not fair. I haven't been tested near as much as some of the people in this room. Sometimes we look back at the last year of our life or the last few months. I can think of people in our church family. Somebody just this week was diagnosed with colon cancer, Amanda Ashlock. That's a hard test. Why does she deserve that? What could God be doing there? What is the measure of faith's testing? Well, for example, not all are tested to the same extent as Abraham, Job, or Paul. So is there any ruling principle that will guide us as to an explanation of the degree of testing that God allows in our life? Well, yes, I think there is. And that principle is, that, is this, that faith is tested in the, according to your measure of faith. Faith is tested according to the measure of faith. The Scripture teaches us that there are degrees of faith. Mark 4.40, Mark Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So there are those who have no faith. On the faith scale, they have a big zero. Matthew 6, verse 30, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, he made this statement, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith. There are those who have no faith. There are those who have little faith. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. The apostles in Luke 17, 5 prayed to the Lord and they said, Lord, increase our faith. So that measure of faith, we like to cook at our house, and so a lot of measuring cups and, and measuring spoons and all those kinds of things. Different people have different measures of faith that have been given to them. And God, if we need more, He promises to give more if we will ask Him. There are degrees of faith. In Luke 7, 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled him and turned and said to the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. There are those who have no faith. There are those who have little faith. There are those who have faith the size of the mustard seed. And there are those who have great faith. I want to make this point. We talked about the obedience of faith, how it's a progressive obedience, how God gives us different things along the way. In this walk of faith that Abraham had with God, was God coming to Abraham to test his faith by asking Abraham to sacrifice his son? Was that Abraham's first test of faith? Was it? No. It was way down the road. He had had many tests of faith prior to God asking for his only 
son. You know, I think that's instructive for us as well because the Scripture teaches us that God doesn't give us more than He's able to help us through. Abraham would not have been ready for this great trial at the beginning of his experience of faith in God. This is also true in our experience as well. We begin by trusting God simply to pardon us for our sin, to forgive us for our sin. But as we go on, we learn to trust Him in many other ways, don't we? As faith grows, it's tried and it's tested according to its measure. It's the same idea that the tests that the kindergartners get are a little different than the tests that the eighth graders get and hopefully are a little bit different than the ones who are in high school get and in college and grad school. The test gets more challenging as God gives you more faith and more experience as you pass the previous test. Don't be surprised if He's preparing you for the next one. We're talking about the measure of faith's testing. Write this verse in your notes, at least the reference, because the Lord teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. See, as you hear about this trial of faith, it may be really concerning, discouraging even. It just sounds like he's teaching that the Christian life just gets harder and harder and harder. But can I say, with the greater tests, the greater challenges, also often come the greater blessings. The greater blessings. We see the measure of the testing of faith is in line with the measure of faith that God has given you. God will not test you above that you are able. So if He's allowed it in your life, then He's also prepared a way of escape. He's prepared a way for you to walk through it by faith. So when you face those tests in life, those opportunities to walk away or to shut down, always choose the path of faith in God knowing that if you will walk with God, God still promises to walk with you. He promises to provide your need each and every step of the way. You have an opportunity to say, I don't know, I don't think I can take it anymore. And he says, keep walking by faith. I've got you here. Keep going. And isn't it amazing that sometimes you face the most difficult circumstances only to then come out the other side and look back and say, I don't know how we made it, but God must have been with us all the way. He's with us all the way. I cannot imagine how it must have felt to be Abraham going up that mountain knowing that he's about to sacrifice his son. Can you imagine what that must have felt like inside? Take that though and then try to imagine what it felt like after God provided the ram. When he came back with Isaac the other way down the mountain. Is anything too hard for God? No. Does God always keep His promises? Yes. But you know, when you're in the middle of a test, it doesn't always feel like it, does it? It doesn't always feel like it. 
but God is faithful. So we've seen the measure of faith's testing. I think also from this example of Abraham, we can see the manner, the manner of faith's testing. In other words, how is faith tested? We've seen how much. It's in line with what God provides for you to be able to get through, but how does He do it? Well, the Bible is packed full of illustrations of men and women whose faith was tested. And I think we can see at least three different ways in which God tests our faith. And you could probably come up with more if you thought about it. But let me give you these three. The first we see is the testing of our affections. Who or what do you really love? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Who do you love? Well, often it's challenging for us to know who we really love until we're put into a test. When we're put into a test, it proves who we really love. You probably have quite a few items at your home. But how would we know what you really love at your home? Well, set your home on fire and see what you run in to get. I'm not telling you to do that, right? For real. But that we'd be able to tell really fast what we love. I know what you'd get first. You'd make sure all the people are out. You'd make sure your pets are out if you have those. After that, you'd probably be looking for special mementos, special items, things that you say, these are irreplaceable things. How do you tell what you really love? You can tell when you go through a test what's really important. And God often will test our affections. God did that with Abraham. Do you love your son Isaac more than you love me? Do you love the gift more than you love the giver of the gift? It's as if we could hear the Lord saying to us, my child, put back into my hands what I have given you. Amen. This is what God was saying in essence to Abraham. Was God saying, kill your son? No, he said, sacrifice your son. Give him to me. You know, God tells us we're to give our lives as a living sacrifice. He said, holy, acceptable unto God. He says, it's your reasonable service. But well, how do we often live? No, that's mine. This is my life. This is what's important to me. And God says, I want you to give it to me. You know, God will do with your life a lot better than what you can do with your life. God takes care of His church a lot better than we could take care of His church. God takes care of His children a lot better than we could take care of ourselves. He's really good at it. He didn't just make us and throw us out there to figure it out on our own. No, He made us and then He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. He gives us His Holy Spirit to indwell us. He gives us His Word to guide us. He provides for our needs. Everything that we have comes from the Lord. God is faithful. But when God tests, He sometimes tests our affections so that we can really see where our heart is at. Also, we see the testing of our bodies, the testing of our bodies. Sometimes the test comes in the realm of our body. This was the case with Paul, Paul the Apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9, he said, Lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, God is speaking through Paul. He's revealing truth through Paul. And he said, in, in, just so that make sure I don't get exalted above measure, he said, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, 
he had a name for this thorn. He called it the messenger of Satan. A pretty strong name, right? You ever look at it, wow, that messenger of Satan. That's what he called it, the messenger of Satan. But who gave the messenger of Satan to Paul? God did. God allowed it. He said, this messenger of Satan was there to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what the next verse says? It says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul learned through his trial as God tested his body. He, he took away some of the physical strength and ability that he had. He allowed this thorn in his flesh because he wanted Paul to be able to fully experience the power of God upon him. God didn't do this because he was being mean to Paul. God didn't do this just to keep Paul in his place. No, he did this to Paul so that Paul would be able to better experience the power of God resting upon him. Because how often do we find ourselves, even almost imperceptibly at times, we don't even think about, and then we realize we're relying on ourselves instead of on God. You know, this happens physically, doesn't it? Have you ever um, hurt your knee or your toe or your foot or your leg in some way and you're, you're still trying to keep moving and going and doing the best thing best that you can and then you get to the end of the day and it's not just your knee or your toe or your leg that's hurting the first thing it's like your whole other side and your back and your neck and everything seems out and you're like what happened well because of that injury on one side you begin to shift your weight and you begin to walk differently just to try to compensate for it and without even realizing it you're relying too much on the other side and so that's not just pain on one side now you have pain on the other side too and you know we do this spiritually don't we God blesses us financially and without even really thinking about it we begin to trust more in the finances than the one who gave us the finances or God gives us strength. This is a challenge for young people, right? You have all this energy. You can stay up all night. You can do all this stuff. And you begin to trust in your ability to just do stuff. And then you realize one day, oh, no, that was a gift from God too. God can give that and he can take it away. We, we look at our situations that we have. Not only does God test our affections, he tests our bodies. He also tests our positions and plans. Don't we put a plan together and we work really hard? We may even pray about the plan. Lord, help us to come up with this plan. God, this is how it's going to work. Lord, you're going to provide this. And we put this whole plan together and we write it out on paper. But what do we do without even thinking about it sometimes? We start trusting in the plan instead of the one who gave us the plan. Listen, I'm going to stand up here before you. I know this is not, you know, the confessional booth or anything like that. But the Lord's allowed me to think about some of that this year. I didn't plan for Billy and Lisa to move away on me this year. Didn't plan it. But I didn't plan for some of you to be part of this church this year either. You know, I didn't plan for some of my close friends to go through some really hard things this year in their lives. 
to face difficulty. and I didn't plan for those things, but I didn't plan all the blessings that God has given us either. I sure am glad that God's plans are better than our plans. But you know, sometimes He tests our plans. As Job was tested, he made this statement in Job 23.10, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So why does God test our faith? We've seen how much He tests it. He tests it in measure to what He gives us to go through. We've seen how He tests it. Sometimes it's our affection. Sometimes it's our body. Sometimes it's our plans or positions. So why does He test us? What is the meaning? What is the meaning of faith's testing? Well, I think you might be able to say this. Well, there's a sense in which we should never ask why because faith trusts the Lord and leaves all the whys to Him. And yet, God has shown us in His Word some of the reasons why He tests our faith. Go back to Genesis chapter 22, the story of Abraham. Genesis 22, verse 1, and it says, It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, go down to verse 12. Same chapter. Genesis 22, verse 12. And he said, Lay not... Let's go back to verse 11 so you can catch it. Who's talking here? The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Abraham's still there. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the land, lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Why does God test our faith? I think one reason we can see here is He tests our faith to prove the genuineness of it. Is it real? It's one thing to have faith when the sun's shining, right? It's another when it's cloudy and the storm is on the horizon. It's one thing to have faith when everything's going well. It's another when circumstances seem to be against us. God tries our faith to prove the genuineness of it. It was as if God said to Abraham, Abraham, do you trust me? All right, then prove it. Prove it. God tests us, our faith, to prove the genuineness of it. We also see how God tries our faith to increase the measure of it. You know, you get stronger through testing. At our house, as our boys get bigger, they want to arm wrestle dad. I'm on this, uh, I'm, I'm kind of in this process right now where I kind of have to watch it. 
Because there's going to come a day where I need to win for my last time and just sail off into the sunset. You have to know when to hang up your spurs, so to speak, right? Know when, know when the glory days are now all behind you and not in front of you and like know exactly when that moment is so you can retire at the top, right? Some of the dads know what I'm talking about. You want to retire at the top. Well, what are my boys doing? Well, they're over there doing push-ups and sit-ups and they want to arm wrestle me and check, check out. I used to, with Trevor, when I'd arm wrestle him, I'd say, ready, go. My dad used to do this with me too. And, and Trevor would go as hard as he could. And then I'd say, are you going yet? Just to give him a hard time. Well, now I know when Trevor's going. I can still beat him. But there's probably coming a day when I won't. How do you get stronger? Through testing. Through pushing. Through persevering. Through those things. We understand that physically. The same thing is true spiritually. God tries our faith to increase the measure of it. How strong do you think Abraham's faith, faith was after he trusted in God for the gift of Isaac? I think pretty strong at that point. Man, God gave him a son in his old age. In Romans 4.20, it tells us he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. But how much stronger do you think Abraham's faith was after the experience in Genesis 22 of having to take Isaac up to sacrifice him on the hill? Do you think maybe he would have been able to echo the words of Job who said in Job 13.15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You know, I can speak those words of Job, but how do I know if I could live those out? Only if I'm willing to go through the testing that God allows in my life. Why does he test our faith? To test the genuineness of it, to increase the measure of it, I think another reason we see from Scripture, he tries our faith to secure the preciousness of it. Help us to understand how valuable that faith is. 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth. We wouldn't think of it that way, would we? If I said this morning, hey, after the service, we're giving out gold bars to everybody that comes to the service. We'd, we probably wouldn't be able to fit people even on the block with all the people that would come this day. But if instead we said, hey, today we're handing out trials of your faith. Some of you probably said, I think I'm going to watch on the live stream today, Pastor. <laughs> Not coming, right? We're staying home. But the scripture says that the trying of our faith is even more precious than gold which perisheth. Why do you think it says that? I think it says that because God cares more about a relationship with His children, a relationship that's growing, and a relationship that will last for eternity, than He cares about the finances of this world that will come and will go. They'll be stolen. They'll be lost. They'll pass away. But your relationship with God is something that will last Forever. I really believe this is true. God loves us a whole lot more than we love Him. He loves us so much more than we love Him. He loves us so much that He wants us to walk closely with Him. 
Malachi 3.3, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. You know, Abraham's faith had much more impact in Abraham's life and in our lives today than all the gold in the world would have. People often say, well, I know what will fix the world. We just need more money to pay off everybody's debts, to take care of financing all the needs physically that people have. And it'd be wonderful to be able to do that. But you know what would really make a difference in somebody's life? If they had faith in Jesus Christ and had forgiveness of their sin, what you can do financially will only impact somebody in this life, but what you can do spiritually will have ramifications for eternity. He tries our faith to secure the preciousness of it. He also tries our faith to produce the fruit of it. To produce the fruit of it, John 15, 2 says, Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. If you were to go down in South Texas or even in Florida, I've driven through there and seen some of those orchards, right, where they have all those grapefruit trees growing or all of those orange trees growing. And you can see all these things. There's a, there's a small orchard uh, near near Cachata, Louisiana, that we pass on our way to the to the camp, and as you go past there, they ha they grow all kinds of fruit. And you know what? If you go by at certain times of the year, you know what you'll see: people going through those orchards, cutting off branches and piling them up and burning them and moving them off to the side. And you say, "Why do they do that? That seems so painful for that tree." Well, I'm thankful I'm not a tree and having to get my branches cut off all the time. But you understand if you understand trees and gardening, and growing things. Why are they pruning that? It's not to hurt the tree. It's not to take fruit away from the tree. It's so that that tree would bear more fruit. Our heavenly husbandman, our heavenly father is looking for fruit. He's looking for more fruit. He's looking for much fruit. I think we can see finally this morning of the why that God tests our faith. He tries our faith. He tests our faith to use the testimony of it. He definitely did that with Abraham. Here we are in Hebrews chapter 11, reading about the testimony of Abraham's faith. Can we go back and look at this testimony just briefly? Look at verse 8. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. You know, if you're Abraham doing those things, nobody notices. It's just you and your family and your own challenge. But we notice today, don't we? His testimony speaks to us today. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. To us, we, you know, I have some friends right now that are over visiting Israel. We're talking about all the incredible sites and the places they're visiting and talking about, I'd love to go do that someday. And, and they're overlooking at all those things. You know why that's possible? Because of the testimony of Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. But Abraham wasn't thinking about all that when he went. He didn't care about your exotic vacation to Israel. He didn't know anything about it. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. To him it was a strange country. 
For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, verse 17, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, that he'd received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him. In a figure, God tests our faith. He tries our faith to use the testimony of it. Paul spoke about this in Philippians 1 and verse 12. He said, but I should, or I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You know, what a perspective to be able to look at our lives and say, God allowed that because he wanted to take the gospel someplace where it wasn't. Notice the last five words of Acts 16, 25. Say, what's that say? It says this, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Here's the last five words. And the prisoners heard them. Do you think that God may have put Paul and Silas in that prison that night because there was another prisoner locked up in that jail that needed to hear their praise? Do you think God could put you in a hospital because there's a nurse or another patient that needs to hear your praise? Do you think that God can put you in a financial bind so that there's somebody else, some financial counselor or some person that's trying to help that would hear your praise? Do you think that God might put you in a job somewhere and you say, I don't know why I'm doing this job or why I'm working in this place because there's somebody else there that needs to hear the testimony of God's work to change and to transform your life. Do you think he can do those things? I sure do. That's the kind of God that we serve. Some of you have shared testimonies with me of those exact things taking place in your life. And isn't it fun when we're able to look back on our test and say, I know exactly what God was doing. But here's the reality in our testing and trials that we face. I would say we probably don't even know 1% of what God is really doing. Sometimes God lets us see a piece of it, and that's a blessing. Abraham definitely couldn't have seen all that God was doing. And here's one more thought I want to leave you with. God will always give back to us much more than He asks us to give up for Him. He, does. he may do the giving back in this life, but if not, He will most certainly grant us an abundant reward in the life to come. I know I've read lots and lots and lots of Scripture to you today. I want you to know that this idea of the trying of our faith is a biblical thing. So I'm going to close with one more passage. You listen as I read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, 
that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing. Listen to these last Four, five words, as unto a faithful creator. What a great truth. Trials will come. Rejoice, he says. God's judgment is coming. But if you're a believer in Christ, you're saved from the wrath that is to come. Why? Because you serve a faithful creator who after he made his creation... And even when his creation turned their backs against him and went their own way, he then sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way to redeem them to himself. What a faithful creator. I was thinking about how some of my plans had changed this year and how some of the Things I thought might get accomplished didn't get accomplished and, and, and how God did some other things that I wasn't expecting. I was thinking through this and, man, this is hard. This is challenging. You know, having to change directions in your mind and plan different things, that, that's I, I don't like to do that. I like things to work out according to my plan. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah, okay, good. I'm not the only, I thought maybe I was the only one. Did everybody else was just much better Christians than me this one. You guys all had it together. But. And as I've been studying for this message and then the message that I'll share tonight, the Lord just kept reminding me of those verses in James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. I thought, I don't feel very joyful about some of these things. People going through hardship and pain and suffering, that doesn't feel very good. But then I thought about it. The trying of your faith, it works patience. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward. In heaven. Oh, by the way, so for so persecuted they the law and the prophets before you. <laughs> it's not a new thing if you're going through a trial or a test. Someone else has been there. Don't let yourself get isolated off in a corner where you think you're all alone. With you and God, you have all that you need. If you have Him, you have all that you need, but you have so much more 
than even just his presence in the sense that you also have brothers and sisters in Christ right here in this room. Every single one of you is here on purpose. Maybe not your purpose, but God's purpose. Every single one of you is, is prayed for and loved, cared for. I don't have all of the physical things that everyone might need or want. I don't even have all the spiritual answers sometimes, but I know the one who does. I know the one who can. I know the one who will. God is faithful. Yeah, you're going to face some trial and testing. Maybe you're in it right now. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's good. Lord, sometimes the tests feel a lot like a pop quiz. They come out of nowhere and we feel like if we fail it, we're going to fail the whole class. Thankful that you're faithful. And you're not doing things to us or through us or around us to hurt us, but to grow us, to increase our faith, to test whether it's genuine or not. Lord, I think it'd be far better to know areas that we need to grow in rather than to live our life in a false reality thinking we're all fine and okay when in fact we have no faith at all. Lord, you've blessed us with so many blessings around us physically, financially. There's nobody here this morning that doesn't have access to blessings that many people around this world would struggle to have. And because of those things, we tend to trust in those blessings more than we trust in you. And we get really mad and upset and frustrated and discouraged when those blessings feel like they're being taken away. Father, we look to you this morning as the giver of every blessing. And Lord, because you're the giver, you're also allowed to take because you want us to grow with you and not just to be fat, spoiled babies. Anytime something happens that we don't understand or we don't like, Lord, grow our faith, increase our faith, help us to look to you even when the trials are challenging. Bless this time now as we respond. Lord, help those who have burdens to come and to give them to you, to be willing even to step out of where they're sitting and to come down to the front to pray, Lord, not because the location of the prayer means anything. We're talking directly to you. But Lord, because often for us, even taking a little physical step challenges us about the spiritual change that needs to take place in our lives. Bless all this time now. We give it to you in Jesus' name.